Hi everyone, Josh from the Narrate team here. This weekend is what we call at Narrate Vision Weekend. Adam engages us with the idea that we have the opportunity to put the divine on display as Christ followers. Hi you guys. Did you did you forget how crazy September was? Like and if you're like, what's so crazy about September? That means your kids are gone and in college and they're not playing sports and going back to school and all of that. So welcome. I'm honored that you're even here and that you even have the sanity to be here if you have small children because it's an insane time of year. And I was just thinking to myself, like, maybe we should think about doing Vision Weekend like in August or something because we just add to the craziness. And so, listen, if, you're, if this is home to you and um, has been for a while, we're, we're thrilled to celebrate Vision Weekend with you again. And if you're a guest or maybe you haven't been here with us for a while, it's, it's always great to interact with you as well. And admittedly, th- this weekend is it's a unique weekend. We are kind of an iterating culture, constantly trying to figure out how can we serve people more effectively. And, and oftentimes what we're doing is sticking those in the hopper and kind of saving them up for what we think of as this start of a new year, because this is the start of a new year for us fiscally and in all of our calendar. And so we, we call it Vision Weekend. And really the design of this weekend is to look back and, and celebrate the things that, that, that we've seen Christ accomplish in our community and in our lives, and then to anticipate what we think lies in front of us, though we always get that wrong. And so we just kind of play this game with God, and then he, he, he rolls out the real plan. So it's, it's a weekend where we look back, look ahead, and have a lot of fun doing that. And, and to be clear, the, the culmination of the celebration and really the high point of this entire weekend happens at about 2 o'clock at Spring Meadow Lake, uh, where we baptized uh, today. At six, I think it's six people. I'm not sure. There's always the nervous, like, in-out kind of thing happening. Uh, but, but that's where we're just going to celebrate Jesus transforming people's lives. And for some of those, that, that's a story that's emerged over decades and, and for others just more recent to this year. And so we'll be a real blast. And if you're thinking narrate doesn't seem like the potluck kind of culture, then you're right. Which is why we do this once a year and we try to do it well and do it classy. And so you don't have to be getting baptized or know anybody getting baptized. If you find us to be an antisocial bunch, well, this is the one exception. So come join us this afternoon at Spring Meadow Lake. You can TiVo or whatever that's called, the football game, and come back to that later on. So uh, as we look ahead, though, one of the things that I, was, just hit me in the preparation and thinking about this week is I kind of want to start this morning where, the way we started o- over six years ago now, like before Narrate had its first day. And, and what's, what stands out to me is that our story is so similar to, to the people in the text, and especially those who called themselves Israel a few thousand years ago. See, a few, a few thousand years ago, there was a people who, they loved their space. They loved their city. Uh, Kate laughs when I call this a city, but you know, like they, they loved their town. They're a, they're a lot like us, and, and it had incredible mountains, it had great recreation, their family and friends were there, it was what they knew, like they knew their way around without even having to think about it. They, they loved their community. And they also had something that I don't think we can entirely relate to, and that is they had a temple. And, and for them, the temple was the intersection uh, of heaven and earth. And not, not heaven in the sense of like heaven came down, but like the curtain was pulled back in the temple. That was the image. This was, this was the place of the divine. And so it was incredibly valuable to them, incredibly important. And then the unimaginable happened. 
A foreign power came, they conquered them, and unlike what often happened in these situations, they didn't just kill everybody and enslave who were left, that they killed everybody, completely desecrated and destroyed the city, but then rather than enslaving the, the, the women and children and select men that survived this, uh, this thing, this incredible war, rather than just enslave them or murder them, they, they actually forcefully brought them back to Babylon, the, 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 con- the, the country that had conquered them, the people that had conquered them, and then just kind of said, okay, so be a part of this culture. And they didn't know what to do with that. They didn't like being there. It was a completely different type of space. They didn't like the space. And they sat around and they whined and they complained and they prayed and they begged God to please get them out of Babylon. They wanted to go home. Uh, Maybe this will help. You lived in Helena and then you found yourself in Fargo. Does that help? Like now you're living in North Dakota. (laughs) Speaking of North Dakota, uh, so, so I don't, did you grow up with North Dakota jokes? Was that a part of your childhood dynamic? Mine too. Did you know that it's now so politically correct in our elementary schools that they're not North Dakota jokes anymore? So, so my, my, one of my sons came home from school the other day and he's like, dad, I got a joke. And I was like, well, what is the joke? And he said, well, there's these three guys and they all did something bad. And so the cops were chasing them and they went running to this farm. And one of them found him, found this place where there were all these cows and he hit among the cows. And another one found this place among the pigs and he hit, hit amongst the pigs. And the other one found a giant potato field and he hid in the potato field and the cops showed up and they walked in amongst the cows and, the, and all they heard was moo, moo. And then they walked in amongst the pigs and all they heard was oink, oink, oink. And he said, and then they walked in amongst the potato field. And the only thing the cops could hear was potato, potato. (laughs) But I'm thinking as he's telling the joke, that's a North Dakotan joke. Like what happened to North Dakota? And so then a few days later, he tells us another one of these jokes. And I finally looked at him and said, who's telling you these jokes? And he told me, and I won't tell you who. I was like, unbelievable. You can't even make fun of North Dakotans anymore. Now, if you're highly offended and are never going to come again or listen to a podcast again or whatever, uh, my confession is I too have roots in North Dakota. (laughs) I never had to live there, but my great-grandpa Ralph, who I knew, made his way to Montana from Germany by way of North Dakota. And if we're to be honest, if you're a German in Montana, you probably came through North Dakota too. (laughs) So these people are living in North Dakota. And they're like, why am I here? This is terrible. And now there's these people called false prophets. And when we think of false prophets, uh, we think of people who make predictions that don't come true. That's one type of false prophet. It's actually not the most common form of a false prophet in, in, in the Tanakh, in the Jewish Bible. The most common form of false prophet, this is quite frankly the part of my vocation and role that terrifies me because the most common, part of, uh, the most common form of false prophet was a person who was pronouncing blessing in God's favor when what God was intending was, was punishment and correction. And so they, a false prophet, the more common form in the Old Testament was they were reading times that God intended to correct and change the course of someone's life. And the false prophets, what made them false is they were saying, hey, hey, don't worry about it. God's on your side. It's going to get better real soon. Terrifying. That's why I don't counsel. I just do this because it's a terrifying reality that we're so prone to, to, to say God is with you when in fact God is trying to teach us something difficult. And they were saying to these people, hey, it'll, it'll just be a few weeks, maybe a couple months, no more than a year, and you'll be back in Jerusalem. You're getting out of Fargo. You can get to go home. And so what do you suppose the people do? Well, that just further emboldens their sense of seclusion and sequester. It, it further emboldens their sense of completely detaching themselves and loathing the culture in, that they found themselves in the midst of. And then God tapped a real prophet. His name was Jeremiah. 
And Jeremiah had a, quite a different message for the people. He says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem. Notice right there's the hint that I carried into exile. So God's trying to do something with them and it's him doing it. And then he says in verse five, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Now, if you're gonna build a house, is your intention to be there for about three months? If you've ever built one, you know the pain involved means you ought to be there for three decades. Build houses, plant gardens. By the way, these people, you go to Israel today, you will be dealing with a people who are, who are tending gardens that are hundreds, if not thousands of years old because they're built into the hillside and so you had to build walls, retaining walls to hold the dirt. Uh, a garden, it, it is not like a simple little, like I think I'll grow some cucumbers this year because the rest of them have salmonella. That's, that's not the intention. It's like, I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. God, God continues, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. So their, their desire is get the heck out of Fargo. And God's going, hey, this is home. In fact, uh, we're not even going to get to this, but what he says to them is in 70 years, you'll go back to Jerusalem. Like your, your grandchildren maybe will see Jerusalem again. You never will. This is home. And then he says something that just echoes something that he says to person after person after person in the text. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, hopefully if this is home to you, you're bored with this idea because we return to it over and over. A God who says to Adam and Eve, hey, 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 it's not about you. It's about those you'll serve. A God who says to Abram, I'm gonna bless you, but that's so that you can be like a giant three-foot pipe through which my blessing flows to unsuspecting people who don't deserve it. A Jesus who says, you're, you're a city on a hill. And no, he wasn't wearing wooden shoes and black and white clothes. It's not about you. God says to these people, I have you there for their benefit. Why did God send him to Egypt earlier? Because God was passionate about Egyptians, not just Jewish people. Why does this theme happen over and over again? Could it be that God is going, I'm going to put you in a space and that space will be better because you find yourself in it. And then he continues and takes up the false prophet. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. I.e., this is your space. This is your home. Serve it. And it touches on something that I think whether you're in junior high or high school or 70 years old, it's something we can all relate to, isn't it? And that is that sense of I'm just filling time until the real opportunity happens, right? Like I just got to get out of middle school. I just got to get out of high school. I just got to get that degree. I just got to get the job. I got to get the next job. When, when I'm not single anymore, when, I, when I've got kids, turns out you won't have any time when you have kids. Like when, 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 there's this thing that happens. And the idea is, isn't it, that, that when I get that role, that vocation, that particular relationship, when I have that kind of resource, then, then I'll have time to serve. Then my life will matter. 
mean, I'm just a gas station attendant. Who could I possibly serve? How could I possibly make this space better? I'm in the eighth grade. How could this possibly contribute to God's kingdom? And over and over again, the warning of God is now matters. Maybe the greatest heresy of Western Christian thinking is the only thing that really matters about this life is somehow escaping it and arriving in heaven. And God over and over and over says that is an abomination to the kingdom of God. That your opportunity is to take what you have and serve it. And if you're a guest with us, that's what the last six years have been about. Not saying we've been perfect at it, not saying we've seized every opportunity, but that, that's the DNA of this place, of saying let's love this community. And quite frankly, it's an easy one to love. And let's matter and let's serve and let's contribute to the common good and let's exist in such a way that the most ardent critic of Jesus would be conflicted if we disappeared because they hate what we teach and yet they can't deny the tangible impact. And so that's why we work so hard on this. And many of you are involved in that. And by way of looking back, again, it's, it's not a, well, I'm just, I'm not going to offer all the apologies that I normally would because it's vision weekend. So I just, here, here's some numbers. Some of you like numbers, some of you vomit. So you choose your own adventure. So <laughs> here's, as it relates to like, hey, let's create gatherings that serve people no matter where they're at. Let's create gatherings that provoke people. That, that's just a, a rudimentary graph that just shows our, progress over the last few years. Someone said to me this last week, like, well, why, do we, why are we trying to grow? Like, aren't we full? And I guess the only response I have to that is it's not an ego thing. It's a let's make Jesus available as possible to as many people as possible thing. And geez, every time I turn around, someone's hurting. So let's just continue to serve people and create gatherings that, that, that don't create this giant cultural stumbling block to, to enjoy. So thanks. It's also why we scatter. And a lot of you know that we're, we spend a lot of energy and a lot of resource and a lot of time scattering. One thing we probably don't talk about uh, maybe often enough is our ability to split firewood and rent the splitters and our ability to, to host the things that we do and do what we do by way of serving people. It has a lot to do with a bunch of people who are already busy pre-deciding to give some of their time. It also take, it has a lot to do with a bunch of people who have limited resources pre-deciding to trust what God teaches about money. And that's part of the terrifying part of being a church together is going, we, we, like, God's bigger than money, and yet money's kind of a big deal in our culture, and if we're going to serve people. Some of you will remember last year on Vision Weekend, I, I stood up here and with trepidation talked about the fact that, that our, our $300,000 a year budget wasn't going to cut it anymore, that our growth had far outgrown uh, what our financial growth had done. And so last year, uh, August and September is always a terrifying set of two months for me because of the whole budget thing. Last year was horrifying because our budget was jumping from like 315000 to like 405000 which I don't like that, uh, but I needed a new airplane, so it had to happen. <laughs> so, so did you guys rise to that occasion? I just want to give you a number. It, it, um, the, so here's, here's the giving from this last year. Um, <clears throat> that, that doesn't happen in the sixth year of a church. It just, just doesn't happen, you guys. That, it's like over a 30% growth in our giving this last year. So thank you. And the good news is we also continued, like the, just, you know, giving people coffee and taking care of their kids. It just, as we grow, that requires more. And so this year's budget is just shy of $500,000, which is terrifying and faith-filled and going, thank you 
So those of you who don't just buy in by way of serving, which is a big deal, but, but you're so trusting God, and I know this isn't just about Neri, this is about you and God and the personal dynamic there, but you're, you're entrusting us with what is your kingdom giving by putting God's kingdom before your own, and just, uh, we don't take that lightly. And thank you, and we're an open book on that, so feel free to shoot me any question you may have in that regard. It's a Cessna baseline airplane, though. You don't have to ask me that. <laughs> totally kidding, of course. Let's talk about next year, uh, because that's kind of really what we want to dive into. There's a variety of things. Vision Weekend takes on a different form for us every year. Sometimes it's very conceptual, and that's been the case for the last few years, uh, because we've really drilled down on this idea of, okay, let's just stay faithful in the daily, and we're not special. And some of the ideas that we've talked about is this isn't because we're special, it's because we've, we've found a way to translate dreams to the everyday. This, this is one of those years, I, I think, because of the the whole five-year anniversary thing that I talked about on Calling Out Owners and us kind of wanted to subject ourselves to a higher level of scrutiny. What's been born of that has been several objectives that that we've been working on, uh, kind of behind the scenes, kind of not, but working very hard on. And so Vision Weekend becomes our opportunity to just go like, we want to do our best to communicate well, and maybe you find it a very boring weekend, and I say, well, come back next week, because it'll be more personal. But we've got these, I think it's six things that I I want to talk through. And the first one deals with Narrate Kids. Uh, let me just put it, this entire next seven or so minutes in perspective on Narrate Kids by saying this. On August 30th, which was the last time we gathered, there were 92 kids in Narrate Kids that weekend. So that's not a small church. Like that's, that's, that's larger than the uh, average size church in America, just in the kids, which means Jenny has the hardest job in America <laughs> because one of the hills that we've died on from day one is... We're not going to say to parents, if you have kids in the program, you're obligated to serve there. Now, that, that's, that's kind of tough because look around. We're, we're anything but a next-gen church, but there's a lot of families, 92 kids, 27 volunteers serve those kids over that weekend. And yet what I'm saying to Jenny is we don't get to ob- do this obligatory thing where about one-third of our adults are mandated to serve, and thus your desire to build a team is made that much easier. It's just not happening. Because if you have a two-year-old and a five-year-old, what's probably the last thing you want to do to serve God and people on Sunday morning? <laughs> just saying. Now, some of you are the exception, and we're grateful for you. And this isn't a, like, we don't like kids thing. It's a, like, we, we love kids. That's why we have a significant chunk of our budget going towards kids. But what it means is Jenny has a tough job. And last year, we recognized what was coming was this idea of having a part-time kids pastor wasn't going to work anymore, that it was just too arduous. There was too much to do, too much opportunity. And so, uh, and Bridget didn't want a full-time job. She was our kids director at the time. So we hired Jenny about a year ago. She's done a fantastic job and she spends money like crazy. <laughs> just going to say. I mean, that was the commission, like, go figure out. And so she spent time in Atlanta at North Point Church, and she spent time in Billings at Faith Chapel. And every time we'd interact, it's like, how much is this one going to cost, Jenny? So she now has a staff of three, two part-time people and herself. Uh, and, and a lot of that, quite frankly, you guys, is because her, her getting volunteers is one of the hardest things in the world. Because to serve with Narrate Kids requires that you attend one and serve another. It's not, it's not ushering. And we're grateful for our ushers, but, but it's a different dynamic. It, it's, it's a way bigger commitment. One of the other things that she's worked very hard on is our space. When we brought in um, our, our consultant in February, he gave us great feedback on lots of things. And then I remember him going, but your kid space. He just did this like, but your kid space. He said, like, you're, you're doing a really good job with what you have. 
you just don't really have any space. And that's what kicked into gear this like, wait a minute, what if we could find something on the footprint of this block that we could lease and expand our space? And what if the result of that would be that we didn't have a fourth grader doing like teaching time with a five-year-old and thus we could make it a much more attractive space for an elementary age kid? And what if we could then use that space and make it something that we're proud of in, in lots and lots of ways? And that's what got us to 312. And we'll talk about that in a second. But that's why now we're, we're and I hope this doesn't make us look like we're too big for our britches, but we're thinking in in terms of like campus, like we're thinking of Sunday morning now is we have this campus and there's a map that's not to scale for those of you engineer types, but it is clear. We have check-in stations at all of those. Uh, the, other, the other thing that you should know about Narrate Kids, there's so much going on there, is some of you remember several years ago, we said, let's be the kind of place that identifies young leaders. Let's pour everything we can into them, which will leave their cup about a quarter full because there's not that much, but let's just pour ourselves into them. And if that means that they become a full-time employee here, great. If that means they go serve another community and another church, that's great too. But let's just do that. And that was really what got us into the adventure with Caleb of going like, let's just identify a young leader and pour into him. One of the people who has, has very much rose to the surface this last year is a guy named Jody Carlson, if you have kids, you know her. And here's the way I, I think about Jody: is what we, what, what, what I've been learned, what I've learned is uh, the best hires are those who serve their way into a job. Not that they're looking for a job, but you're just going like, how? how oh, the, wow, she's here all the time and she works really hard and kids love her. And so we've hired Jody as an intern. I mean, we're paying her a pittance. It's almost offensive what we're paying her. And we hope that we can expand that uh, coming next year. But but that forms partnership with Jenny where we're just pouring everything into her. And then Jody's also going to be working with Kate because Jody leads a lot of the kids' music. So you can, you can greet uh, Jody, give her the narrate hit on the butt. And unless, unless you're a dude, then that's weird. Don't do that. But anyway, you, you'll, you'll see her around. 312. So that space that we're talking about, we've come to think about, uh, we just refer to it as 312 or 312 Fuller. It, it goes down this weird little parkway through the parking lot and there's access there. In representing you, part of what occurred to us when we first started looking at this space is we, we, it's not us to just rent a space and let it sit idle for the rest of the week. And so the next challenge was how do we create a space that feels neutral? We don't want it to feel like a church. And how do we create a space that the community can use? Because, listen, you, you know, like, you try to do gatherings for your work, and it's hard to find space. So what if we could create this very excellent auditorium-type vibe that could hold up to 100 people, probably 75 more comfortably? And what if we just got the word out that it's available and let people use it in whatever form and fashion? And we've talked to groups like AA and several other different organizations. And what if we just, what if we just serve people with it? And so... Here's the calendar. Monday nights, Young Life is going to be using it starting tomorrow. Young Life is this really neat parachurch organization that's had this really cool restart in our town, led by some students from this place that reaches out to high school and junior high students who, like church is just a completely foreign concept to them. They're going to use it on Monday nights. Tuesday nights, our high school students are there. Wednesday nights, our middle school students are there. Thursday nights... Kate and the band is rehearsing there. That leaves Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday we're using it. Grand Street has used it already. We just That was the first phone call I made was, hey, Cal, we're going to have this space, and I know you guys have space constraints. They've used it already. Some local organizations like Cow Tipping Comedy, James has done some teaching in there. And it's not a charge thing. It's just like a, here's this space, use it, and Sarah's added it to her scattering management. So kind of a fun deal. Next, does it feel like a trade show? Because I was kind of self-conscious this week. Uh, let's talk about Christmas Eve. Speaking of graphs and Christmas Eve, let, 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 me just, let me just show you another number. 
go ahead to that next slide. So th- that's Christmas Eve attendance over the, the last, what is that, six years. And if you, if you do math, then you go, okay, this place holds 200. And last year we had 764. We had three gatherings. How does that work? Well, the first answer is, well, the fire marshal doesn't like it. That's part of how that works. Uh, The other part is that's why we've opened up our rehearsal. So the way I'm thinking about this, you guys, is it wasn't our desire to host a community-wide Christmas Eve experience. It seems like it might be God's. And so we're going to shoot a bullet at that. And what we've uh, done this year is we've rented the Civic Center for Christmas Eve. So we're going to do two gatherings, 3.30 and 5.30. It's kind of terrifying and really exciting. Because what we're gonna, we have the ticket thing in place, which we have to have to do there. They're free, but it's this opportunity for us to go like, well, let's just see. Maybe there is this pressing need in our community for people to have a non-religious but Jesus-centric Christmas Eve celebration, and let's just see if that serves people. So that sounds fun. Is that exciting to you? I thought that, yeah, that might be fun because you don't have to stand at the door and like, could I come to church, please? Like that, you don't have to do that thing. <laughs> here's the reality of that. For us to do this, uh, it's going to take lots of things. The, the big area where, and we're thinking of this as a scattering opportunity, is it's going to take 50 people working closely with Sarah and the hospitality team, <clears throat> who 50 people who, who are willing to attend one, serve one, on the least desirable day of the year to volunteer. Like ushering, greeting, tickets, it's not the type of role where you're going to be able to attend and serve. It's, it's just a different space, and we've got different constraints. It's going to take 50 people who go, yeah, from about 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock, I'll attend one and, and serve at the other, but that's what I'm doing. That's a big deal, 50 people. That, uh, Sarah's slightly terrified, and I don't blame her. And so we're so excited about it, though, that we have a sign-up sheet on the scattering board this week going, hey, let us know. And build your Christmas Eve around this thing. Like, we're, we're going to serve our community this way. Speaking of that, we've always said that if a bunch of people are going to gather on Christmas Eve, uh, the, the, the working poor and under-resourced, should, they should benefit from that. And we've done, like, SOG. Remember, we've always done, last year we had that incredible trailer, and uh, we did food for food share, and there was that deal of, like, come bring your stuff when you come to Christmas Eve. That feels to me a little jerkish. Like, here's this poor community person who knows nothing about bringing food, and they're like, oh, yeah, so I'm among those heathens who didn't bring food to Christmas Eve. So we're not going to do that this year. What we're going to do instead is we're going to take the whole month of December, and we're partnering with Shodare to provide Christmas gifts for all the kids who are residents in Shodare on Christmas Eve night. A lot of staff members from that place around here. And needless to say, they say it's the darkest day of the year. Can, can you imagine being, being a five-year-old who's going to bed on Christmas Eve in, in a psychiatric hospital, knowing that tomorrow you wake up to the very same thing? So we, we, we've got some details that will be coming on that. There will be, you know, like you can't, you can't buy them like butterfly knives. So there's obviously some, <laughs> some constraints to that. So we'll be creating a list and hopefully using, doing a very similar dynamic as we did with the food and the trailer, but over the course of December. So stay tuned on that. The other thing is we went like, if we're going to do this, like, let's not just mess around. Like, let's, let's, let's get the word out. And so we were sitting in creative team going, so how could we help people like invite their coworkers and friends and family members? And like, how could we add to that conversation? And just to get the thing started, I said, I think we should ask vans to make us cookies that say Christmas Eve at the civic center. And people can like drop them on their conference table. I was just using it as an illustration. It's a terrible idea, but like something that had tangible value that wasn't like, here's a tract, come to church. And someone, I don't even remember who, uh, 
But someone said, how about fortune cookies? <laughs> so, so it's probably next month you're going to be able to say like, hey, I want to take some fortune cookies to work. And we'll, we're even going to find those like the takeout Chinese buckets. And the little piece of paper inside will say Christmas Eve at the Civic Center, 3.30 and 5.30. In the back of it will have the website for how you can find your tickets. So we're really excited. We, we even are going to have a billboard on Montana Avenue that, like, it's going to be the most obtuse, ridiculous. It might, it, it might be the downfall of Narrate, but it'll just be a fortune cookie. A fortune cookie that says Christmas Eve at the Civic Center, 3.30 and 5.30. Should be a lot of fun. So, sounds fun, right? Okay, what do we have next? Oh, yeah, TEDx. Some of you may have heard of TED and are followers of TED. We had this idea. Actually, I, when Jenny was doing her childhood suicide thing, I thought, wait a minute. We could do this, and we could serve Helena this way. So we applied for They have these licenses called TEDx. The design of the TEDx license is it's a local version of TED, local presenters, local innovators, lo- local servants of the community, and we were given that license. So on January 30th, I believe it is, it's the last Saturday uh, of January, it's also the dark hole like NFC championships are on January 23rd, <laughs> Super Bowls on February 6th, TEDx on January 30th. So we'll have about 15 different presenters. We're working with a team. This is a lot like Ailes where it's in giving us the opportunity to network with and partner with uh, myriad community players, many of whom aren't a part of Narrate and with speakers. And I just love the networking that this is going to be. And it's going to be us hosting this thing at the Grand Street. They've partnered with us on it. Cal sits on the team. And really it's going to be our opportunity to go, listen, Jesus is pro-ideas. He's pro-science. He's pro-innovation. He's not intimidated by self-help. And yet he reigns supreme, and we'll just put him on display by the way we serve and don't kind of shoehorn him into the conversation. I, I can't wait. I think, I think it'll be a very difficult ticket and a lot of fun. And So stay tuned on that. TEDx. I literally cannot remember the next thing I'm supposed to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, one of my favorite emails that I got this year was from a guy who, who was thanking us for, for Easter and the Easter egg hunt. And, and then he said, uh, it literally was a PS uh, after his name. He said, I was standing there waiting for the Easter egg hunt to start, standing with my son. And there was a couple next to me who clearly weren't a part of Nary just based upon their conversation. Not sure what that means. And he said, and she said to him, Narrate's involved in a lot of really cool things in this community and they always go big. To which he said, good job. So this last year on the Easter egg hunt, we were standing around as the parents were coming down the hill and the kids are opening their eggs. And, and I can't remember uh, who, who, again, who said it, doesn't matter. But there was this sense of like, wait a minute. You know what we need to add to this thing? It's a giant paintball gun war. I'm just kidding. Uh, what, what we need to add to this thing is an adult egg hunt. So the kids come off the mountain and like mom and dad kind of, you know, paper, rock, scissors for who gets to go do the the adult egg hunt. But there's a whole hillside we're not using and we could do some fun, crazy stuff by adults looking stupid and having fun. And so it's not just a child experience. It's a full family experience. And I don't know, like maybe you get a free coffee or a beer or I don't know what you get, but we'll figure that out. But we're going to do an adult egg hunt. I, I think it'll be a blast. Finally, um, in the vein of shoot bullets, not cannonballs, you know, one of the things that we were committed to and yet aren't committed to just doing it on an obligatory kind of way is, is serving the under-resourced and the working poor. And to be honest with you, I think translating what the Bible teaches about serving the poor in a welfare state 
is extraordinarily difficult. And if you're not careful, you're just throwing lots of good money with good intentions, but not getting many results. And so there's lots of great things, and we've somewhat shamefully held back on some of those opportunities because we didn't feel needed. And this year, the bullet we're shooting is, is what if the people who were most well-positioned to serve the, the under-resourced and the working poor, what if it's our classroom teachers? What if they have a better read than anybody on how we could uh, do, do for a few what we wish we could do for everybody? And so we've started these conversations with teachers because there's a lot of classroom teachers in this room and just saying like, how, how could we come along and serve you? And we've created a budget in our scattering budget of just, that, that, that could be like, I could use math tutors every Thursday and we'll bring that to the stage. That could also be, uh, I could use $2,000 worth of equipment. I have a friend who was telling me last year, this is part of what gave birth to this idea. She was telling me her operational budget, like her discretionary budget for her classroom in, in, in sixth and seventh grade was $100 a year. It's like, wow. I think most of us spend more on like toenail clippers in a year than that. So it's, it's the bullet we're shooting. It's just like, what, what if the, 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 the classroom teachers from our community could, what if we could just come alongside them and, and serve kids? And, and oftentimes it might be entirely anonymous because what we're doing is taking tithe dollars and going, yep, take them to this conference. And yeah, we know we're a church, so they can't even know about it. But that, that, that's the real bullet we're shooting as we just continue to go like, God, how do you call us to serve the biblical orphan and widow? And how do we do that in a welfare state? And how do we do that in, in a way that's, that's wise? You know, I think just to wrap up that what's fair to remember is that like Israel was called to be present in a community and serve it, to be a signpost of the kingdom of God, and they failed. Like, that's why Jesus had to come, because they weren't doing it well. And yet I wonder if in our humility, the best thing we can confess is they failed because they didn't have the spirit of God in them. Like, that's the opportunity we have as the church. What separates us from TED and many other well-intentioned organizations is the promise of God to empower us from the inside out. And so as we think about Vision Weekend and, and, and we think about this next year, because this is this time of year where you're just kind of rethinking everything, maybe we end by just going, are, are you paying attention to what are those unique things that you need to emphasize in your own growth? Because in order for the church to put the divine on display, it requires a woman in the office putting the divine on display. And in order for the woman or the man in the classroom or the office or on the team to put the divine on display, that requires a certain level of intentionality in creating space for God to do business on a daily level with you. And so it is an honor and privilege to be the church with you. And yet may we never forget that we are only as strong as our constituent parts are connected to the living spirit of God. Let me pray. God, thanks Lord for the opportunity to serve Helena and we recognize we are not the only group doing that. We're not even the only community of yours doing that. God, would you direct us in our energy and resource to really drill down in those areas that you're asking us to. Thanks for the individual stories of change, God. We love you. Amen. 
you would like to engage further with Narrate Church, you can find contact information online, www.narratechurch.org. We would love to hear from you.